0: Standing for the reading of the Word of God, would you take your Bibles, please, and turn to the book of 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy in chapter number 2. We'd like to read responsively the first eight verses of the chapter. Allow me to begin in verse number 1, and I will read the succeeding odd numbered verses. Would you read with me, please, verse number 2, along with the three succeeding even numbered verses through verse number 8. Once again, that's 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. And reading responsively. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle. I speak the truth in Christ and lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's make our prayer. Now, Heavenly Father, Holy Spirit of God, we acknowledge this morning that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Lord, take this passage of scripture that, Lord, some of us might have a hard time with and speak to our hearts, we pray this morning. You have your will and way, we ask. And I pray this in Jesus' name, for your glory. Amen. You may be seated. Take your Bibles, please, and turn, please. Uh, By the way, thank you, choir. Thank you, Sherry. Thank you, Isabel. Thank you, everybody else that had something part in the service. Thank you, Caleb. And, uh... You make the service good. Ladies are downstairs. We've got a number of ladies downstairs right now. Some came to the early morning service, and they're preparing the, the great luncheon that we're ready to partake of in under an hour from now, and so we'll look forward to that here in just a few minutes here. And then just a brief afternoon service in place of the evening service, of course, and we'll be downstairs, of course, for the, the balance of the, the afternoon, obviously. All right here, First Timothy chapter 2. This is our really fourth message. Let me bring up to speed where we've been. On the subject of people, we started at the beginning of the year, we preached our first message from 1 Timothy chapter 1 on the subject of young men. Of course, Timothy was the young son of Paul's in the faith. Then we looked at lost men. I enjoyed preaching that subject, of really a salvation message on lost men from 1 Timothy 1, 15 especially. Then last week, of course, or two weeks ago, we had the snowstorm, but last week we had our message on babies, and we made the application, of course. Uh, and I, I told Caleb last week, I said, I'm really excited and looking forward to preaching this message, I'm talking about last week's message, because, I mean, who doesn't like to hear about babies? I mean, I like to hear about babies, and, and uh, it's, a, it's a sweet subject. It's, they're fearfully and wonderfully made, and it was a great Sunday last week, and I enjoyed preaching the message. Now I've got to be honest with you. We're on the subject of people this morning, and our subject matter this morning is not the most favorite subject matter. As a matter of fact... I'll be honest with you, out of my 12 planned out weeks of messages for this book of First Timothy, this is a message that I knew I'd be struggling with the most out of all the messages. Because I want you to draw your attention to what I call our text verses, verses 1 and 2. The Bible says, I exhort, therefore, First Timothy 2, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Now, thus far, I haven't had much of a problem. But then I get to verse number two, for kings and for all that are in authority. And there, that phrase kings, we don't have kings per se today, at least not in our country. But the kings in reference to leaders. Now, let me just give an overall truth that's Truthful for all these messages. There's one interpretation, but many applications. This message is for everybody in this room here. We have some leaders in this room. You're a boss at your place of work. You're maybe a foreman. You're a floor leader or whatever you have. Maybe you're a teacher. Everybody leads somebody, a family member. A father leads his family. Mothers are the head of the home when dad's not in there. And of course, and we could go on and on with, we all have different roles where we're, we're, we're in the leadership role, and so we have leaders that are spiritual. We have leaders that are secular. We have military leaders. We have secular leaders or business leaders. We have bosses. We have foremen. But in the context, in the context, I think you'd all agree with me. The verse two, Paul said, the Apostle Paul said to pray for kings. Translation: Pray for leaders. Pray for politicians. And herein lies the dig. If I was writing scripture, this passage of scripture would not have made it into the Bible, I'll tell you right now. I have issues with this, and I thought about trying to skirt and trying to not impugn myself, but I thought I might as well just be honest. This passage of scripture is reproof to me. This passage of scripture is correction to me. I know I probably have more of a political bent than most people in this room, but not as many as some. And the Bible says that we are to do some things for some leaders. And I want to give you just three highlight truths, uh, things to know for leaders this morning. And whether we like it or not, verses 1 and 2, the Bible tells us in verse number 8 that we are to pray for our leaders, pray for them. I want you to notice again verse number 1 and 2. I exhort, I beseech you, Paul says, I implore you, therefore, in the light of the previous verses, that first of all, preeminence at the first, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority. We skip down to verse number 8 for time's sake. I will therefore, he's a summation verse again. Every time we find that word therefore, it's it's a concludatory statement. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Now, this passage of scripture, I got to be honest with you, it hurts me. Because uh, when we take the Bible, you know, it's a kind of a preacher joke. You get a pet peeve, you get something you want to preach on, you find a passage of scripture somewhere in the Bible to buttress your point, and you can take off. That's not how we're supposed to take the Word of God. And uh, when they teach you in how to preach, they teach you a subject called homiletics, rightly dividing the Word of God. And one of the first rules of homiletics is the practice of exegesis, to take out, to draw out of the Bible what's there. Not eisegesis, that's man-made, exegesis is God-made. Exegesis is taking in the Bible what is in the Bible, what God said, and drawing it out. Eisegesis is putting in our preconceived biases, our preconceived notions into what the Word of God says. I don't want to be guilty when I stand behind this pulpit, this desk, of eisegesis. I'd like to tell you what I really think, but you don't. many of you don't care what I think, anyhow. But we don't tell, the preacher just to tell you what he thinks. The Bible, the Bible says that the preacher is to draw out and exegete the word of God and say what God's word says. And so with that said, these verses are difficult for me because the Apostle Paul said who would be beheaded Later on, after writing these words, he would be beheaded in a Roman prison by the very man that he says to pray for. And I want you to notice that this first thing that we do with, in regards to praying for our leaders is to, we, there's petitioning. Notice what it says in verse number one. I exhort therefore, that first of all, that supplications, that word supplications has the idea of petitioning. It means to be asking for something Specific. The Bible says in Proverbs 21, verse number one, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he willeth. We specifically ask for something in particular. It's been a highly political week last week in regards to what's taking place in Washington and in our state capitals around America. And I heard. Uh, that word, by the way, supplication, says, in this context, as it relates to leaders or kings, God says to have this, these supplications, this petitioning. In the context, it means the result of policies of government in which we live, that we pray for a specific request in regards to the specific specificities of what's happening on a political level. I heard on the radio this morning on WSRN on the Christian radio station. I heard Fayetteville on the news. I don't know if they were talking about Fayetteville, Arkansas or Fayetteville, Virginia, so somebody can correct me afterwards if you find out. But they had a state or, city ordinance uh, uh, regards to the, the best way I heard it on the radio, regards to the bathroom bill, as some people call it. And they, they made a law. they had some standing laws on the book about homosexuality in the, the city of Fayetteville. And they said, we're not going to let men go into a woman's bathroom. We're going to enforce law. Well, the state came down or the federal law came down and said, no, you, you, will, you will not violate this gender neutral this, uh, policy. And so they made, this, they, they made this statement. They're going to enforce Fayetteville. The, the higher jurisdiction is going to force Fayetteville to disobey their own law. The Bible says that we are to pray... First of all, with exhortation, pray with supplication, pray with petitioning, specifically Lord help the city of Fayetteville, Lord help them to, uh, Lord uh, preserve the sanctity of uh, marriage and the sanctity of life and the sanctity of of, uh, one man with one woman and the sanctity of marriage and on and on we could go. But I want you to notice that the Bible says that we are to pray for them in regards to petitioning, but then the next word is the word, verse number one, the word prayers. Or the word, that word prayers has the idea of personalizing, personalizing. just want to see if we're on the screen this morning here. Thank you guys for making the, they make the PowerPoints up during Sunday school, quite frankly. I give them the message and they, 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 they print uh, what I put in my notes here. But personalizing, it has the idea of an awareness of God's power. Prayers. Prayer is work, Ian Baum said. But prayer works. Prayer is a spiritual force that is as real as any physical force, such as gravity, magnetism, or electricity. When in Genesis 18, when the Lord came to hundred-year-old, ninety-nine-year-old Abraham for the second time, and eighty-nine-year-old Sarah, He'd already came to them ten years earlier, and He says, "Thou shalt have a son." And we know their son that they're going to have by God's decree, is Isaac. His name means laughter. Because Sarah laughed in her tent. You know the story, most of you. And God said, when Sarah, when Abraham in his heart laughed and and Sarah laughed out loud in her tent, God said in Genesis 18, 14, and I ask you the question, is anything too hard for the Lord? God's able to do abundantly above all that we ask or think. I think of the, the Nebuchadnezzar, how that he had that great statue, that great idol made, that 90-foot-tall image made in the, the, the Valley of Durham there, Dura, rather. Now he commanded everyone to bow down and worship essentially him. Now God humbled him. You know the story. Many of you that know the book of Daniel. He humbled him for seven years, and he decreed that, and he realized God got a hold of his tension and he realized who he was. God, through Daniel's prayers, a personal prayer, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego humbled that great king. The Bible says in regards to personalized prayers, James 5.16, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The Bible says that if I say unto thee, if you have faith, as a grain of mustard seed. You shall say unto this mountain, remove thou from hence, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. God's a miracle-working God. God can do anything. And so, God says when we pray for our leaders, we pray with petitioning something specific. We pray personalizing, and uh, we can move mountains. I found it interesting, in, uh, and you say you're vindictive. I don't think I'm vindictive. I've had to check myself a number of times, even in preparation for this message. On Wednesday, the governor, I'm sure you've all heard the sound bites now, the live radio or li- live uh, vi- videotape of the Governor Northam from Virginia. On Wednesday, he finally said, "At least he's an honest abortionist." A medical doctor, a pediatrician, now governor of Virginia, said, "When the infant comes to term, and uh, and maybe it's born with defects, or maybe it's born with, for some other reason that uh, and the mother doesn't approve, or the, the healthcare workers will make a determination, will keep the the infant comfortable." It used to be the death of the preborn. Now it's the death of the newborn. And he says, we'll let the doctors decide. Forget about three trimester. Now we're talking four trimester. It was interesting. That came out on th- Wednesday. On Thursday, news came out of the same governor that was dressed in a Ku Klux Klan outfit and a black in his face. And people made a big uproar about that. I see Democrats even making an uproar about that. Of course, they can throw him out and get another Democratic governor in. It'll be okay. That'll be fine. But I find it amazing that God, just one day, people say, well, it was the right-wing conservative plan. We call it what you want. I don't know what it was. But God, there is a limit to God's patience. There is a limit. There's a time when God says enough. And another message, another time, we touched on that subject that of last week in regards to the sanctity of life. That we see this, this uh, personalizing. God's power is omnipotent. He's omniscient, he's om, omni, omni, omnipotent again, he's all-powerful. Anything, nothing is too hard for the Lord. God's power, when we pray, it's a petitioning prayer of specific, specificity. But then it says, verse number one, supplications, prayers, intercessions. That word intercessions has to do with pleadings, with a childlike confidence. This word intercession implies intimacy, It implies getting close. It implies meeting up close and personal. You, we all know, all of us grandparents know that little three-year-old Johnny or Susie, whatever our grandchild's name is, they can come and they, they look at us and they put their hands up together and they say, please, and they even know the, the right language. Pretty please. They know how to get from grandma or grandpa what they want. And the, the intercession has to do with an up close and personal meeting with uh, praying specifically and asking uh, Brother Andrew Phipps. Many of you know Brother Phipps. He's been, uh, he called last week. He calls about every other week. He's going to Washington that he does so often. He's going to meet with Senator Mike Braun on this coming week or maybe two weeks out now, I guess it is. And, and uh, he asked me to go with him. No, I don't want to go, I told him. I had to tell him specifically. Brother Phipps. I do not like going to Washington, D.C. and meeting with our elected officials. I've met several that, from state, rep- or rather, United States senators, I can name the names, you see them on TV, a number of House Republicans, including our own district and our own. And I, it's not me, I have a hard time with it. But Brother Phipps loves to get down and down with the rich and the, maybe not the rich, but at least the famous. And he loves to talk to them about law. Let's talk to them about the Judeo-Christian values of our country. And uh, he asked me to go, and I said, I'm sorry, Brother Phipps. It's not a money issue. It's not even a time issue. It's, it's, it's a me issue. I can't do it. I, I did it once with you, and uh, that's, I'm a one-and-done guy. I don't, I don't want to do it. I'm sorry. My bad. I'm admitting. But the word pleadings here, this word means, or pardon me, this word intercessions, it means an up-close-and-personal meeting where we get Real nitty-gritty, and with a childlike faith, we ask God to do something spectacular. Then it says this, supplications, prayers, intercessions, or pleadings, and then it says, and giving of thanks. I want you to notice letter D on our worksheet, praising. Prayer includes praise. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Lester Roloff used to say, the great preacher of 40 years ago, used to say, I've praised more down from heaven than I ever prayed down. God's called us to praise him. I heard 40 years ago now in Rockford, Illinois, I heard the famous Dr. Hyman Appleman preach, uh, the Jewish lawyer that was converted back in the 1940s and preached for 40, 50-some years. I heard him in his 80s, I think he was at that time. And uh, he preached 360 days a year around the country, seven times around the, the, the globe. Preached in 128 countries or thereabouts, some great crazy number. He always never preached without a tear in his eye. Usually tears coming down his cheeks. He always preached crying. And he'd been in all the countries in the world seven times over, many of the countries. And i never forget him saying, he says, America, and he loved America, Jewish-born. Family went through the Holocaust. He says, America, we're dirty, but we're the cleanest, dirty shirt in the whole laundry, was his line. And he loved America, and he started to cry. And I think of this praising, giving you thanks. Folks, we have a lot of problems in America, but I'd rather live in America today than Venezuela. I'd rather live in America today than, than Sudan, or South Africa, or Somalia, or Nicaragua, for that matter, or for Mexico, for that matter, or Guatemala, and you go on and on and on and on. But for praising God, and we have people that want to bring Venezuela to us the Alexandria Ocasio-Cortezes of the world, and they want to tax the rich more than they're, they need to pay their fair share, so 70% is a good number, but then the, her Muslim representative uh, from Minnesota, two lady representatives from Minnesota in the house, of course, with her, not burqa, but her uh, headdress on, said this week, of course, said, why 70%? How about 80%? Maybe 90%. Let's tax the rich 90%. Well we're going to bring socialism we're going to bring venezuela to america and we're going to do it we're going to we're letting you know you can't make this up here but this is just fact i mean study it out find out cortez's background she was a bartender now she is a head of, she's in the house finance committee of the most powerful nation in the world telling us how to spend our finances she couldn't pass a she couldn't be hired at a local bank to be the head of the bank, but she can be head of the finance department of the most powerful country in the world, in the history of the world. It's only in America. With all that said, you say, preacher, that's awfully negative. There's the praising, giving God we still live in a free country. I don't know how much longer, I didn't get an amen out of that, but we, I don't know how much longer we're going to have a free country. And I said last week, the last bastion of free speech is going to be found in our pulpits across America. But giving of thanks, Paul said, you think we have intrusion into our lives? Paul knew what intrusion was as a dual citizen of heaven and also of Rome. And so we see this giving of thanks. But then let me begin to hurry on here. Let me give you another P. The Bible says, last part of verse number one, and giving of thanks be made for, what's the next word class, help me out? All men, all men. By the way, notice verse number two for kings and for all. Again, verse number, two more times in this text, we see that word, verse four and verse six, that word all. Notice that we are to pray, we're exhorted to pray with supplication, with prayers, with intercessions, with giving of thanks, with petitioning, personalizing, pleading and praising for all people in general, for all men. Hey, Christian, do you realize that you are... Some unsaved friends or relatives, only intercessor, maybe, to the throne of heaven. The Bible says he hears not the prayer of the wicked. The Bible says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Now, the Lord hears everything, but the Lord hears the prayer of his intercessors. We see there's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. I have my great high priest that I can go directly through him. I don't need to go through a woman. I don't need to go through another man. I can go straight through Jesus Christ. And him alone, and I, because I am a, a priest of God, I'm part of the royal priesthood, and so are you, Christian. And we are to pray, and we can pray for people in general. We can pray, and God hears our prayers. Then I want you to notice we get to verse number two, and here's again where the rub starts in my mindset. The Bible says, "I exhorted you pray for supplications, prayers, intercessions, etc., for kings." For princes in government, including Nero, you know, some you think we have it bad in government. You think America's got problems, and we do. I just saw Hendrew, by the way, Hendrew's from China, and, uh, and uh, uh, China's communist land. We got people from different countries here, call me prejudiced, call me biased, call me patriotic, call me whatever you want, I'm glad I, come, I live in America. For the fourteenth time. But Paul he said, I want you to pray for kings. Now, by the way, the year, if you have a chronological Bible, you'll see that the year, depending on who the the, the theologian is or the historian is, Timothy was written somewhere between sixty-two AD and sixty-four A.D. Now we know in sixty-four AD Nero was on the throne from 54 A.D. to 68 A.D. when he committed suicide. But in 64 A.D., Rome bur- burned to the ground, or most of Rome burned. And Nero blamed it on the Christians. And even before Rome's burning, thousands of Christians were being slimed with pitch, tied to poles, and lit for human lanterns in Nero's garden every night as they had their drunken orgeries and, or, or drunken debauchery and their orgies by Christians were being consumed and then later on in the Colosseum. He had his own wife murdered. He had his own grandmother murdered. He wasn't a good guy. He makes our worst of politicians look holy. And Paul said, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. Now, by the way, fancy word, but it's a Greek word. these, These verses, like all the Bible, is a theanthropic union. Theos is the word for God. Anthropos is the word for man. The Bible is a God-man book. Paul said, I exhort, therefore, was Paul's words. But it was 100% divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. Married together. Written by man. Authored by God. And so Paul says, he knew what he was saying when he said, I exhort, therefore, that prayers be made for Kings. For the Nebuchadnezzars, for the Neros, for the Napoleons, for the Nancy Pelosi's of the world, then they be made for kings. The ones that are killing Christians. There's lands all around the world. Have you heard of North Korea lately, Kim Jong il where Christians are butchered, and only the Lord knows how many thousands and tens of thousands. And over the course of the dynasty, uh, hundreds of thousands of Christians have been murdered in the most heinous ways in North Korea alone. God says, now get the context. He says, I want you to pray for those kings. I don't know about you, but that blows fuses in my mind. I know how I want to pray for those kings. But we haven't finished the text yet. We get to verse number, for kings and for all that are in authority, verse number two. Think of for for the for, so some kings and some puppet kings and some leaders that are puppets, But there's powerful people in authority as well. I do this quickly. There's a number of case examples in the New Testament as well as the Old Testament for that matter. But in Acts chapter 12, just hang with me. In Herod Agrippa I, in the Agrippa dynasty, there were four major ones. Herod Agrippa I imprisoned Peter. Remember the story? He's in prison. And in the house church, they were praying daily, nightly. They were praying around the clock with intercessions, with pleadings, specifically for Peter's release. Remember what God did? God shook. He did that before. He did that later on in Acts chapter 16 with Paul and Silas. But he he, he let Peter go through the prison walls, prison gates, and escaped his captors of the Romans. Later on they were examined and they were put to death for losing their prisoner by Herod. And Peter knocks on the door, one of the funniest stories in the Bible, he knocks on the door at midnight, and a damsel, a young lady, comes to the door. Peter's at the door, and she gets so amazed, they've been praying for his release. She slams the door, and Peter's face comes back, Peter's outside, he's outside, he's in front, of, at the door. They say, oh, you're crazy, Peter's in prison. They were praying for his release, and they she said, they said, they said, they said of her, and I'm paraphrasing, you're mad, You're crazy. And she insisted, of course Peter was there. God answers great prayer. But we see later on in that same chapter, in Acts chapter 12 I'm referring to, verses 21 to 23, that later on Herod Agrippa, he steps over a line. I think it's Marty shot opinion, I admit it. I think on Wednesday when Governor Northam went on television, radio, and said, well, it's up to the woman's right to choose. After the baby is born, that was on Wednesday and Thursday. The events took place on Thursday. That took place. I think God said, "You know, I can only take so much myself. It's time when judgment must begin," and God allowed that to happen. Herod examined the keepers of the jail back to Peter's imprisonment. They were put to death. It was God that let those prisoners or let Peter go. His angel of the Lord. And then later on it says in Acts twelve twenty-one to 23 that in a great uh, auditorium that Herod lifted up himself and they said, he's a god. They started to worship him as a god. and God smote him right on the spot, gave him worms, the Bible says. And he died of uh, eating from the inside out and died right there on the spot in front of the whole crowd. God said, it's enough. God's able to, he's able to put up one king and sit down another king. He's able to raise up presidents. He's able to raise up senators and, and uh, uh, houses, in our case, and congresses, in our case. God's able to set them up and set them down any time he so chooses. God says, I want you to pray, and Paul says, pray for the powerful and authority. But now we get to the reason why we are to pray for our leaders. We get to the last part of verse number two. For Kings, verse 2, for all that are in authority, why? That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. That we might, why do we pray? For the sake of peace. Folks, we're children of the Prince of Peace. We're going to Shiloh, the land of peace. We're going to Jerusalem, the city of peace, the new Jerusalem. Blessed are the peacemakers, for there is the kingdom of God. We pray for the sake of peace," the Bible says in Romans 12:18, "If it be possible, as much as lieth within you, live peaceably with all men." I was asked the question. Now some may not understand this, but Benjamin Franklin, one of our forefathers, said it this way: "Resistance to tyranny is obedience to God." There was a day, and it was a 40-year debate that started to take place in really the 1740s. There was a king in a fast 32nd history lesson. There was a king by the name of King George III. Well, second and then the third, of course, for the balance of what we call the American Revolution or American War for Independence. And There's a 40-year debate whether we rise up against the king because Peter said in 1 Peter 2.17, honor the king. Our King James Bible, in the front preface, if you have it, honors the dread sovereign, King James I. Why would they do that? People say, well, they loved those king worshippers, those those Episcopalians, those Church of England guys. No, I think they knew the Bible. I think that's why they did that. But back to the American War for Independence. There came a point in time in our life as a country where we said we ought to obey God rather than man, and the battle cry for the American Revolution became no king but King Jesus. There comes a time when men need to stand up, but it's always... The last possible resort. Somebody asked me this past week when do we stand up and fight for the life of the unborn or now the newborn? When do we say enough's enough? We go to battle over it. Folks, I know this is even controversial, even within the sound of this voice here in this room here. I don't believe, this is Marty Schott talking now, I don't believe that, that we're ever going to throw over Roe v. Wade. It could happen. I'm not saying it couldn't happen. Uh, it's not going to happen. We can legislate by law, and we legislate all of our country's mandates by law. Nothing wrong with that. People say you can't legislate morality. We do it all the time. We do it in the history of our country. We do legislate morality. Of course we do. And we could legislate law, but we can, we can win by, or we can say we, we'll go to war over this or we can fight with flesh and blood, or we can fight with spirit and and, uh, and the the Holy Spirit of God by love and by constraint. And I believe our our battle is not with flesh and blood, but it's for the hearts and minds of men and women, for that matter. We win by love, not by war. And I I think that we will never keep My, my issue with abortion. I've tried to say this many times. Yes, I believe it's murder, I know, I don't, let me rephrase that. I know it's not, I don't think it's murder. I know it's murder. But I'm willing to concede the point. But your individual soul liberty li, li, ends from my pocketbook, my wallet begins. And if we could ever privatize abortion, we'll never do it, uh, sadly, because nobody will listen to me. And I'm sure there's other people that have thought of this. Privatize abortion, like we privatize Adoption. You want to murder your young one, go right ahead, but don't use the one penny of my taxpayer dollars to do it. You do it with your own dime. I know, you say, preacher, but it brings a curse on our country. Yes, it does. I admit it. But I'm willing to look the other way. And I think another message another time, I think of the groves in the Old Testament. There were things that that were uh, an abomination to the Lord in the Old Testament that Christians and God's children of Jehovah had to look the other way. And I think on this issue of abortion, we've got to look the other way. Take that in its right context and what I mean by that. I don't think, my point is, uh, I'm not willing to take up arms over it. That's not going to happen. Because if it's possible, I'm going to live peacefully with all men. We are uh, children of the Prince of Peace. And for the sake of peace, we pray that God would change the hearts and minds. God can do it far better than you, can, you and I can ever do it. And all God's people said, amen. I was going to give me, myself an amen, but I thought you might want an amen. Oh boy, okay, I'm looking at the clock. we got lunch here. and I'm going to end on, well, soon. <laughs> Number two here. Second thing to know about leaders. Not only do we pray for them, but they are accountable. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they must give an account that they may do it with joy. You know, just in my last diatribe, just moments ago, the Bible says, every idle word God shall bring into account. Brethren, be not many masters, knowing they shall receive the greater condemnation. It's very, it's a serious thing to stand behind a pulpit. It's a serious thing to preach the word of God because you're representing the Lord. You're representing the spirit of God, and I better be right in my preaching. And not get in the flesh, which is so easy to do because I got a lot of pounds of flesh right here you're looking at. And it's, if I get in my flesh, it's, it's not good. It's not pretty. There's nothing, nothing good about it. These leaders are accountable. Number one, letter A, rather, they judge. I wanted to turn, but let me just paraphrase. Romans 13, verses 1 through 5. The Bible says that the powers that be are ordained of God. They judge Leaders are able to pass the ultimate condemnation. They are, able to, they are able to pass sentence. You say, what do you mean by that, preacher? Now, you may not know this. A certain worldwide church, of course, believes that they confuse killing with murder. And it's wrong. Jesus said, thou shalt do no Murder. When we have the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill. It's in the context we find many times in the Old Testament where God commanded to kill. Killing and murder are two separate things. And there are those that teach that that uh, capital punishment is wrong. It's interesting. God said in Genesis 9:6, Whoso shed man's blood by man shall his blood be shed. In Romans 13, verse 4, God said speaking about his minister, God-ordained ministers, civil government, and the leaders thereof, he said, but if thou wilt do evil, be afraid, for he beareth, that's government, beareth not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Let me spell it out while I'm digging my hole here with a handful of you. I believe in somebody murders somebody, puts one person to death, not let alone a hundred person, and they do it intentionally, volitional, first-degree, premeditated murder, we call it. that. the moment that a person is convicted, very shortly thereafter, and it used to be in our country 50, 75, 100 years ago, very shortly thereafter we would carry out the judgment. We would put them to death. And rightfully so. They are, they are called judges, they are accountable, they are car- car- carried, called to carry out the most highest of Punish, forms of punishment, that of capital punishment or death. It's interesting, and just another sidebar, just for a moment. It's interesting to me. I've debated over several over the years of those that are the pro-choice persuasion. Not all, but most. It's interesting. You talk to next time you talk to your pro, pro-choice relative or friend, ask them this: Do you? I'm just curious. Do you believe in capital punishment? or uh, execution of, the, in, oh, no, we're not barbaric. They don't believe, they, they believe in putting innocents to death, but guilty, oh, no, we're more, more moral than that. We decided this several years ago in the state of Connecticut. We decided it was I- immoral. Ugh. I, you know, I know this is hard to hear, but, you know, for 20-something years, we have... We keep people in prison, and we pay for our, with our tax dollars. Right. We pay for a 19-year-old to take a sledgehammer and beat the head of a 13-year-old boy to death for fun. And he's eating three square meals today. And we've been doing that for the last 20 years. We had the doctor, what was the doctor's name? I can't get his name out. Dr. Pettit. His wife and children, if you've ever had the stomach to read what really happened, and yet they are alive today. We call that morality. We've come to a point in our country where we call evil good and good evil. We're there, but they're accountable. They judge, they pass sentence number two. They either follow or forsake the law. They that praise the law, by the way, we are to be contenders for the faith. They that forsake the law praise the wicked. The law of life. Three times last week at least. <laughs> hey! You say, Preacher, you're getting overboard. They did it for several minutes. Applauding the death of the innocents. Three separate times. I'm sure somebody told them, maybe we shouldn't be applauding for this. They did it anyhow. They forsook the law, God's law. And they said, away with God. We're going to do it our way. Well, they, these judges, they pass sentence. They either follow or forsake the law. What do you think sanctuary cities are, by the way? That's forsaking higher law. That's another subject, another time. Letter B, they will be judged. They judge, but every leader will be judged. Brethren, be not many masters, James 3, 1 says, knowing that you shall receive the greater condemnation. Judged by men. Yes, I'm passing judgment in my mind when I see judges make a decision. The Bible says in Romans Proverbs 10:7, the memory of the just is blessed, but the name of the wicked shall rot. There's some names I hear, and I say, Oh, that's disgusting. Hitler. Nero. There's some names that when I hear it, it rings a bell. Churchill, Reagan. Makes a difference in a name. Good memories or bad memories. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked bear rule, the people mourn. Good leaders are servants. Bad leaders are tyrants. And they're judged in the consciences of the men, and they're judged by history. And so they will be judged by men. But then these leaders, all of them, every king, every prince, every power person, they'll be judged by God one day. And he'll judge the secrets of men by his gospel according to Jesus, uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Romans 2.16, a paraphrase. When Felix, the Roman governor, heard Paul in Acts chapter 24, he was reasoned. Paul reasoned with him of righteousness, of temperance, and of judgment to come. The Bible says Felix trembled. He said, go thy way. I'll call for thee in, for an, a convenient day. Our song, Almost Persuaded, is written as a takeoff from Acts 24, 26 of the story of Felix trembling. And Agrippa's saying, almost thou us me to be a Christian. No evidence that Agrippa ever got saved. No evidence that Felix ever got saved. But I think Felix trembled because for a moment he had a, Just a temporary vision at least of judgment to come one day when I stand before the God of all the universe and he knew the power that he he welded. The Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. I do this quickly here but somebody in this room I'll leave unnamed and as I give the illustration you know who I'm talking about. One person in this room I was in court with you a while back several years ago now and you remember you know who I'm talking to one person in this room knows who I'm talking with. That judge welded a lot of power. And he commanded his courtroom, more like any, no, no judge I've ever seen in Connecticut, with two or 300 people in that courtroom, there was a holy hush. He was having a bad hair day, to use the expression. He was handed down sentences left and right, and it was pretty, it was pretty humbling. And I remember saying to myself, oh, I'm sure glad I'm not going in front of that judge today. He's having a bad, bad day. No, he was just, he was fed up. Day after day, after years, Connecticut court rules. One day he just evidently snapped and said, I'm going to start following the law. I'm going to carry out judgment. One day there's a judgment from whose face, the he- throne whose face the earth and heaven will flee away from The Bible says, God will judge him well. We get to verses four to six, I could keep going there, but let's look at the last point of three to know about our leaders. We are to pray for them. They are accountable. Number three, very simplistically, they need salvation. Look at verse number four. Who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth For there's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for, help me out, class, all, to be testified in due time. He ends these verses verses with verse 8 again. He says, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. We see three things about this need of salvation. First of all, we see God's, His or God's will. Back to verse number four for just a second. Who will have all men to be saved. Now, it's not his determinant will. God's determinant will and God's provisional or God's uh, emotional will. And God God has feelings, by the way. And I think we can prove that in a number of verses in Scripture. And the... That that God, he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come into repentance. He's long-suffering. There's an emotional uh, feeling. Not willing that any should perish. She will have all men to be saved. Now all men will not be saved. Jesus said, let her be on our worksheet. Some men will not come. They will not come. Jesus said in John 5, verse 40, And ye will not come unto me that ye might have life. There are any number of politicians I could pick on, but since we know Nancy Pelosi's name as much as any name, almost as much as the president, I'll use her. I don't believe, this could be the understatement of the day, I don't believe that Nancy Pelosi is a Christian. Now, she's Jewish, God bless her. I don't think she's a Christian. In fact, I'm quite sure she's not a Christian. But God, when he shed his blood and Jesus Christ came into the world, He the propitiation for my sins, but not for my sins only, but also for Nancy Pelosi's. First John 2.2. I think when he shed his blood, it was a universal atonement. Now, not everyone is going to have that atonement applied. Nancy Pelosi, Jesus Christ died for you, and if you repent of your sins and ask Christ to come into your heart and save you, he'll come into your heart and save you. He's so good, so gracious. But I'm pretty sure, this is Marty Shaw talking again, I'm pretty sure she will not come. I don't want to be filled with wrath or doubting. I'm fighting it in my flesh. I'm skeptical. But here's what I know. The Lord says, who will have all men to be saved? He gives the the mediator, verse number five, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the way, the truth, and life. No man cometh unto the Father but by him. He's all you need. Pardon me. Thank God for the Blessed Virgin Mary, but you you don't need Mary. She won't give you salvation, but Jesus will. He's your only mediator. He's the great high priest. He's your Paschal's Passover lamb. You can come. Though millions have come, there's still room for one. Maybe some within the sound of this voice will not come. But here's what I want you to know for sure. According to the Word of God, many verses that teach us. Whosoever will come are welcome. The Bible says in Revelation 22, the last of the verses of the last chapter of the Bible, and the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him that hear say, Come. And let him that is the thirst, Come. And whosoever will let him take of the water of life freely. Jesus will come to anyone that calls upon him, but as many as receive him, to them give you the power to become the sons of God. I know I understand that salvation is a sovereign thing. It's all from God. But God says in the text, he says all men, he will have all men to be saved. There's one mediator, and he gave his life, verse 6, a ransom for all to be testified in due time. And Paul buttresses it by saying in verse number 7 that he was ordained to present this, to preach this, as an apostle, sent one of Jesus Christ, in truth, and verity, in, in certainty. And then we pray these things, so we pray without doubting and without wrath. We pray for our leaders. We pray for them. We understand they are accountable. We understand that they need salvation. And t- this morning here, and I, it is, it's the longest message of the year for sure now, we seven minutes of. I'd like to sing a song that's not really an invitation song, but I'd like to sing, and I'd like to thank God. I don't think we do it enough. Maybe... Some churches don't do it at all, but I'd like to sing here in just a minute, uh, My Country, Tis of Thee, Sweet Land of Liberty. There was a day when we understood that God was the, the maker and the creator of our country, and I'd like to re- re- remember that again this morning. Let's bow for prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Lord, there's a lot of countries around the globe this morning that, Lord, if the things that were said from this pulpit in the last 50 minutes were said from a pulpit in their country, Many do not have pulpits or churches at all. Lord, that man would be arrested. The people would be imprisoned. Lord, if this were North Korea, we'd probably be put to death. Lord, if this were a communist country, a socialist country, Lord, we would be, or an enlightened country, Lord, we would be labeled as hate speech, and even imprisonment and fines and shut down. But Lord, we thank you for that we still live in a place where there's freedom. We pray for America. We pray for our country. We pray for our leaders. Lord, forgive me when I have ill thoughts in my heart towards those in authority over me and over our country and over our state. Help me to pray for them in purity. Lord, I pray blessed in this moment of invitation this morning, Lord, this message has been geared towards Christians, towards children of God that want to follow your word. Lord help us to love our country and Lord pray for those in authority over us. We pray in Christ's name I ask. Amen. As we stand, one hundred and twenty six, most of you don't need